Welcome, everybody, to Movie Geeks United. We're here for another exciting installment of our Blu-ray review for the month of March. What an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and since you can't do anything but stay at home, these are the movies that uh, are hitting physical yeah. disc. Some of them, uh, and of course, we're mostly uh, going to be take talking about catalog titles. But what better time to catch up on things that you may have missed in the past or just haven't seen in a long time than and now more than ever you are providing a public service <laughs> i'm glad i can do something to help you're my an essential man. worker <laughs> let's yeah, talk before we get into blu-rays let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the theater industry and what it's ha what's happening with corona yes um i don't know if i ever announced this on the show but you reminded me because we had conversations about this not too long ago and you reminded me of it that I thought that, uh, you know, the second that a major studio comes out with one of their tentpole movies only on VOD and the second they get a high, high gross just from that, then theaters are dead. That was my prediction. Uh, I had no idea a virus would play a role in it, but it looks like it's uh, an inch closer to becoming a reality because I think if, uh, you know, they've. They've released uh, you know, Invisible Universal, released Invisible Man and The Hunt, and I think Disney released something. I don't the Frozen Two, something. On, onward, I believe uh, the new Pixar. Okay, yeah. yeah. But they're thinking of releasing something like Mulan direct to to home uh, on demand as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, man, if that goes through the roof, why would they release in theaters? Why would they choose? to share some of the profits with someone else if they can do much better just releasing at home. That's an excellent point. You know, um, I, I've been hearing this past week that Patty Jenkins at Warner Brothers, you know, the director of the, the, the Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman films. Yeah, she's she's been brought in by Warner Brothers. They're having serious discussions about the release of Wonder Woman 1984, which was, I think, the first weekend in June was the original release date. And they're now talking they're in serious discussions with her about you know possibly doing that there's nothing official has been announced as we tape this but uh like you said it looks like it could become a reality um and we were just discussing this back in november um not knowing that we were closer to something like this actually happening than we could have ever imagined i think i think it's possible and i was talking to aaron uh, the other night and he said, no, but he's always been kind of like the optimist about this. And he said, that'll never happen. They will, they will never do that. When I brought this up several months ago to him mm -hmm. and I said, you know, they, you're saying that the studio would never opt to make more money for itself. You know, it's, a, it's, I think that is a naive position to take. And, and the added quantity at the end of all of this is the financial stability of the theater in exhibition industry after this Corona thing. I think this closure of all the theaters, who, who knows how long it's going to last. It could last another three to six months. And uh, how many will be left standing after that? I mean, yeah. I seriously don't think they're going to get economic relief from the government for movie no. theaters, no. even though they're asking for it. Yeah, it's it's really an amazing thing. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today who's also a big movie buff and and we were talking about how the movie theater, you know, the exhibition business has been going, you know, uh, roughly 100 years. And in that 100 years, when you think about it, uh, there's always been a movie theater open somewhere in this country or really in the world, I guess. 
a movie theater has is open somewhere, um, you know, for really the last century, I guess you could say. And now this is the first time we've ever seen. It's really scary when you drive by a movie theater and the parking lot is completely empty. It's just a sight that you never anticipate seeing, and you really can't fathom it until you see it, you know, firsthand. Yeah. And you know. Yeah, it's an interesting time, and then it's going to come down to people that um, are. Um, People like Christopher Nolan, who will will try to refuse to have his movie play direct mm-hmm. to VOD, and uh, you know it might come down to that. And the studio is saying, "Look, we, we're the ones that invested the money in this. We're going to get it back one way or another, and you don't have a say in how it's exhibited." Uh, it might come down to that, man. But meanwhile, something like Fast, the latest Fast and the Furious, they were they really took initiative and they pushed their date back a whole year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a major, major push. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, I'm talking to regular people who, you know, take their kids to the movies and, and regular people. Well, you know, just people who who are, (laughs) well, people who are not cineasts, I guess, or, or movie freaks like myself. Uh, you know, people who just don't live, eat, sleep and breathe this stuff, just, you know, your casual moviegoer. And I was talking to a coworker of mine who fits into that category. And he was talking about the Trolls film, which is going to open April 10th. And he was excited about it. He said, this is great. You know, I can uh, get the Trolls film for 20 bucks. He's got two daughters. Right. And he said, you know, we can have the, the Trolls movie night at the house and we don't have to worry about, you know, getting the kids together. And it's it's more economical. It's going to, you know, and, and I've heard some people say, well, who's going to pay $20? And I said, you'd be surprised. Family. Exactly. Family. Exactly. I mean, for for me personally, if I you know I'm not going to pay twenty dollars to watch Invisible Man, especially if it's a rental. If it's mm-hmm. one of those two forty eight hours, you got to watch it for twenty eight for twenty dollars. I'm not going to do that. I might consider a movie that I'm really interested in buying it for twenty dollars, where I own it, you know, mm-hmm. instead of it being a rental that runs out. Um, but uh, for families, it's a deal. Yeah, for family movies, the kind the kinds of movies that help theaters stay alive. Those are the family movies by and large. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that big families or big groups go to together. So $20 is a bargain for that. It sure is. Yeah, so and I think a lot of people are going to it's going to get really interesting when when Troll the Trolls film does go to digital which it is already they've officially announced that one and it is going you know straight to digital and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, money uh you know what what kind of money they're making from that endeavor and that decision so yeah theaters it could be like you know a theater in no only in big towns or something i i don't know how ultimately it's going to work out i'm sure that the theater industry will there'll still be theaters that are running and they'll try to regenerate themselves. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the behavior that will be instilled from this change might be ir- irreversible. The consumer behavior, the consumer preference just to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And another interesting thing that's happening in my neck of the woods, I'm in the Charlotte, North Carolina area for anybody who's listening and isn't aware of that or has forgotten. Uh, we do have drive-in theaters in our area. And we have one. What, what's your address? Uh, just to let the listeners know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting to mention in, in case people are saying, you know, there are no drive-ins around. Where are you at? And um, But we do have them in our area. And there's one about 
maybe 20 minutes down the road from where I'm at now. And, and they're open for business. They were this weekend anyway. And doing uh, well, doing well too. Apparently there was national news about the, the uptick in drive-in patronage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's perfect for this sort of thing. Uh, they were actually letting people in for free this weekend. They were running Forrest Gump. Uh, on their one of their screens, they have two screens. I'm not sure what the other screen was running, but Forrest Gump was on one of the screens, and it was free admission. Wow, and, they'd have uh, to pay me. <laughs> well, they were trying. You know, I, I give them some credit for for trying to unite people and, and yeah. help them out of their. So farm. they can sell, you know, and hopefully they'll sell hot dogs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They said they're only they're limiting two people to a restroom, which is another interesting. Uh, thing, but you know, that that's sounds, being that smart. Like one person too many to me. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have this thing. I just, uh, you know, I, I have this thing about sharing restrooms with people. Oh yeah. I, uh, I, I can vouch for that. I, I'm right there with you as you well know. So it's, <laughs> it's, an, uh, we've had yeah, this. Like, I, I cannot, I, I cannot remember the last time I urinated at a stall right next to somebody. Like it, it's not, <laughs> Not happening. Not here either. Absolutely not. So, yep, right there with you. Yeah, that's all right. On that note. On that note, moving onward. Yes, to the subject at hand. Blu-ray theatrical is dead, so we might as well revel in the uh, the home entertainment medium. <laughs> well, you know, and we do wish the best to all of our distributor friends who. Uh, run these boutique labels. I know they're having some struggles too, because a lot of them are now having to re retool their business models. You know, they're working remotely and they're really doing the best they can to keep things rolling without a glitch. I know Criterion was about mm, three or four days late announcing their June slate. They normally announce their slate uh, on the 15th of each month for the three months ahead. And so they were, uh, they were a little late this month. And so a lot of them, I'm getting emails from, from a lot of our distributor friends who, who are having uh, some difficulties adjusting and, and we wish them the best. And we just hope that they can get through this as well. Cause we depend on them to, uh, you know, to, to shower the love on these lesser known titles or titles that are just hard to come by nowadays. But yeah. anyway, uh, having said that, we'll start with, um, one of the big guys that we just mentioned, Disney, on March 3rd, released, uh, I guess, the remaining titles uh, from their Pixar archives that had not been issued on 4K. That's WALL-E, Up, Monsters Incorporated, A Bug's Life, and Monsters University. All of those were issued in 4K, and I think that uh, is takes care of all the Pixar films that were remaining that had not yet made the 4K leap. And I know they're available for 4K streaming on Disney Plus already, so there's there's physical yeah. copies of of those now available. And um, so there you have it. Kansas, you got that you got that Disney Plus? I don't. I don't have it. I don't. Um, I don't either. I generally don't care about Disney, but they were they were making a big deal of it last week because apparently they're going to run the Straight Story starting next month, and so they're making a big deal about David Lynch on the Disney Plus service <laughs> he made a g-rated disney movie which is still amazing to think about it really is yeah that's the oddest david lynch project you'll ever see it really is it really is it's the most mainstream thing he's done obviously i love the movie i i i have long lamented the fact that it hasn't had a a really good 
upgrade. It needs a picture upgrade really bad on physical media, and it hasn't had that. And I, uh, I, I hate that. There are some digital copies floating around that are remastered digital copies, but as far as a physical, it's it's sadly sadly lacking, and it needs to be yeah. more well represented. Um, but anyway, no, I, I, I like the movie too. I think I think it's v- extremely heartfelt. Oh, absolutely, and not and not in an insulting way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's very strong. I, I you know, and I guess that was a self-generated uh, project for him, or was he a director for hire on that? I I don't, I don't know the circumstances behind the production of that. I'm not sure either. Uh, what what the genesis of of the project was. Um, Knowing him and how he unpredictable he can be at times, I would not be surprised if that wasn't something that he just all of a sudden said, "Hey, uh, let me do something different." You know, he's always surprising yeah. his audience, and that that would not have uh, have been out of character for him. So, yeah. anyway, that's his, uh, this, maybe he's, maybe he said, yeah, "This is my this is my return of the Jedi." Maybe that's what he said. <laughs> Could be. Could be. That was the, I think it wasn't it released the year after Lost Highway, I believe, because Lost Highway was 97, I think, and then 98 was uh, Straight Story, I believe. Or was it 99? It was the next one he did after Lost Highway. So anyway, it was somewhere in there. Well, this is an interesting cast uh, for this film. Uh, how about a film that stars Andy Griffith, William Shatner, Robert Reed, Marjo Gortner, Angie Dickinson, and Janet Margolin? <laughs> what a cast right yeah that's uh that's an interesting cast to say the least it's pray for the wildcats a a well-regarded television film from 1974 that's been issued by kino lorber and uh, they've done a spectacular job with this film it's it's a pretty good film uh, basically it's andy griffith is a businessman who takes um william shatner robert reed and marjo gortner out on a uh, a business trip and then he basically uses them for target practice. He goes after them and tries to kill them. <laughs> so it's interesting to see Andy Griffith play a villainous role, which he rarely mm. did. Uh, like I said, it, it it's, they go out uh, basically riding motorcycles and things of that nature. So that makes it interesting too. There's a few too many shots of them riding motorcycles uh, at times. I wish it gets a little repetitive, but it's basically a good movie. It's the kind of thing you wish they would remake because it has a great plot that would, uh, do well if it were recycled but anyway the transfer is fantastic on this new blu-ray i'm told i didn't get a review copy of it but here it's great and it has a new commentary by uh amanda reyes who uh, covers mo- television films on her site so anyway any fans of pray for the wildcats from 1974 like i said it's worth seeing for that cast if nothing else is that like the most dangerous game that's what it sounds like it's similar to it, yes. There's definitely an element of that, uh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a variation on it, which you know we know that very that that theme has been kind of done to death. But um, the hunt. it's an interesting re- this, yes. this year. The hunt. <laughs> yes, exactly. <clears throat> you uh, saw the it's hunt, interesting... right? I did. Yeah, it's it's okay. Um, it's yeah, I liked it. Uh, I think I think Betty Betty Gilpin is a star in that movie. Oh, absolutely. She was great. Um, there are some interesting ideas at play. Uh, I think maybe it could have stood to go through the uh, one more pass at the rewrite table, but uh, <laughs> one more draft. But, you know, not bad, not bad. 
Yeah, I was interested in, in the goings on, and there were some th- 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 detours it took that I didn't know what was happening, and which I was thankful for. I just uh, I don't know how much of a pointed political commentary it was, but maybe that's just because I'm not perceptive enough to pick up on it. Yeah, same here. Yeah, okay, just just and again, that one started streaming um, last Friday, I believe. So the the twentieth. So it's out there already for streaming for anybody who wants to see the hunt. Um, Kansas City is the next title on the list. The 1996 Ooh. Robert Altman film has been issued. I'd by love Arrow. to see that. I'd love to see that again. There's there's some, some Altman movies that I saw once, and it, uh-huh. and they kind of predated my obsession with Altman. And I think Kansas City was kind of on the cusp. It wasn't the ideal time for me to see it in terms of my Altman consciousness consciousness. So I'd like to check it out again. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember it being pretty good. Um, enjoying it fairly well. I need to revisit because I'm like yourself, haven't seen it since its original release. And they've done a pretty good job here. They've got um, new audio commentary by um, Altman. Of well, this is an old audio commentary by Altman, but they have a newly filmed appreciation by critic Jeff Andrew. Uh, they have a 2007 visual essay by French critic Luc Lazier. Uh, Robert Altman goes to the heart of America in Kansas City. It's uh, two promotional featurettes from 96. And they have the electronic press kit interviews with Altman and the late Miranda Richardson. I mean, not the late, the Miranda Richardson. I'm thinking of the Natasha Richardson. Natasha, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, and I hear, uh, you know, as far as I remember, and I know that he got the bulk of the praise from, and I hear Harry Belafonte's brilliant and it is essentially the villain. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, I love Altman. He's the director I miss more than any other. Yeah. And I know that Kansas city was his uh, dream project and he was able to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, it was something that he held near and dear to his heart. And um, um, I, I really, I wish he was able to, to have made that last film that he was in production, a pre-production on, which was that hands on a hard body based on the documentary. Because oh, yeah. he, he was actually in my state in Florida. Uh, they, they were going to shoot it here because I think that's where it took place. And it sounded like the perfect project for him. I mean, mm-hmm. a group of a group of eccentrics, you know, very limited locations. It's just whatever that contest was where you had to keep your hand on the truck in order to win it. You know, the last person that uh, has their hand on it ends up winning the truck or something. I think that's what the plot was. And it's mm-hmm. Based on a real thing, it, you know, it sounds like something they do in Florida. Yeah, it's uh, well, <laughs> well, well. It sounds like the thing that's tailor made for his sensibilities. Let's put it that yeah. way. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Billy Bob was going to be in it. Billy Bob Thor. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would have been interesting to see him collaborating with Robert Altman. <laughs> yeah, God. When you know, one of those what might have been. Yeah. Gosh, I hate that never came to fruition. Yeah. Well, Kino Lorber has put out a box of the, they're calling it the Sergio Leone Westerns box. And it's basically all of the Western films that Sergio Leone made. It's the the Man With No Name trilogy, obviously. I think these are the remastered Kino versions that they issued several years ago. Uh, they have licensed out uh, Once Upon a Time in the West from Paramount and included that in the box. And Duck, You Sucker. So those are the, the you get five titles in the box 
of the Sergio Leone Westerns all in one place. What a, what a great uh, Morricone score that Duck You Sucker is. Oh, absolutely. It's not my favorite of the films, but the score is probably my favorite. Oh, so, yeah, God, you're right. And you could hear, you could hear echoes of it in uh, God, uh, um, Disclosure, I think. Morricone's score for Disclosure. Yeah, he and would resample, resample, recycle things occasionally. Yeah, and then maybe some of it in U-Turn. U-Turn is another great Morricone Oh, my God. Score. Yeah, that's great. Jeez. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of Kino Lorber, they've issued uh, a double feature of two Alec Guinness films from 1953 and 57. That's uh, Barnacle Bill and The Captain's Paradise. So I wanted to let people know those comedies are available from Kino Lorber and Bad Manners, the 1984 comedy with Martin Mull and Karen Black. Uh, uh, that's uh, a Kino Scorpion release. Yeah, I know. What, uh, what's, what's become of Martin Mull? Man, that's a name you never hear. I know. Any, anymore. Martin Mull. Nobody's mulling over what happened. <laughs> what happened to him? Yeah. Well, we yeah, have the night. Every, you know, he he was at it for a long. Everybody has a right to retire. I just I wonder if it was like a self-imposed retirement. I don't I don't know. Maybe he's still out there. I don't know. I know he's done a couple of podcasts lately. Uh, I know he did the car the Johnny Carson podcast to talk about his the time on the Johnny Carson show oh. pretty recently. So he's out there. He's out there doing. Oh some man. Podcasts. Do you, you know, just yesterday they posted on YouTube uh, an old uh, Marlon Brando appearance on Johnny Carson. Really? Uh, it was from, uh, yeah, it was from 68 and it was right after Dr. King's assassination. It's a mm. 15 minute clip. It's very interesting. And he's talking about how he was supposed to do Kazan's, uh, the arrangement, and he backed out of it because of King's assassination and it didn't feel right to him to do movies at that time. He wanted to engage in more meaningful activities mm -hmm. it's an interesting uh, uh you know the the uh, a very kind of somber conversation between he and carson interesting i'll have to make a note to to look that up i appreciate the the heads up on that i would love to see that yeah it's it's there's a lot of those uh carson shows from that are pre-1972 that were wiped out so i'm surprised that one survived that's a uh, that's good so many yeah, it is and i you know i watch those a lot i, I mean god bless youtube because there's uh mm -hmm. i watch you know i find myself watching old rickle rickles appearances on carson and uh oh they're awesome interviews and yeah it's it's interesting to see um and i i, I like i liked carson i liked his laid back i liked him even though you know the um i think we've talked about this i i i love the dynamics of the Cavett show in terms of the various guests that he'd ha he'd have on the mm -hmm. variety of guests he'd have on at the same time as a as a panel but i never liked Cavett. so uh, <laughs> and so but carson i liked him and i i especially like the dynamic when he would have the same thing going on where he'd have like three really uh different guests on at the same time and i loved it when they'd interact yeah mm -hmm. yeah cavett he 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 would sometimes have some interesting questions though that he would uh, that he would ask and uh, i think he was knowledgeable at least of his guests and insightful I, so, yeah. yeah i mean I, I 
I like I like him only because of the experiences that he had and the people right. that he met and the stories yes. that he has about them. I just don't think that he. I think that he's so preoccupied with being clever and funny, and he's, <laughs> yeah, and he's not a funny person to me. That is true. He's dry. He's very dry. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess you have to be on his wavelength. Yeah. But, yeah, the 1978 television film, uh, boy, Kino's really into the TV film releases uh, from 1978. It's the Super Bowl, and there's a killer running loose uh, who's planning to take out some of the um, the audience. Black Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is a little uh, lower grade than that, uh, less ambitious. Yeah, like I said, TV movie starring David Jansen, Superdome from 1978, also starring um, Ken Howard and Peter Haskell and – Edie Adams. So uh, haven't uh, ever seen that one, but um, David Jansen. Superdome. Is that, is that like New Orleans? Yeah, I think so. I think that's where uh, it takes place. Uh, not a hundred percent sure. But uh, anyway, I, I remember seeing the title. I think I may have remember when it debuted on television even, but I never saw it. So I can't really report anything about it. Uh, there's a keynote Lorber double feature of the films Sweeney and Sweeney two, um, two other films whose titles. Yeah. I'm not, it's, um, those are two films that I, and I'm really not a hundred percent sure about, I know, um, I'm not sure what the plot is of these, uh, but there doesn't have anything to do with Sweeney I, Todd, does it? No, no, no. These are, uh, I think these are Italian action films. Um, and anyway, it has a, an audio commentary by film critic oh. and author Simon Abrams. But uh, yeah, I'm not really familiar with these, but they came up on the release list and I just wanted to make sure if fans are. When the sexy mistress of a cabinet minister is found dead of an apparent overdose, detective inspector Jack Regan and detective Sergeant George Carter shake off the booze and women to take on the case. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll be darned. That's exactly what I need to get through this coronavirus. So I'll have to look up Sweeney and Sweeney too. <laughs> that sounds like that could be fun though, right? Yes. Never know. Two, two detectives that uh, have to stop uh, uh, drinking and fucking so they could solve, <laughs> so they could solve a political crime. Oh, goodness. Well, anyway. Sweeney and Sweeney 2 are out there for any fans that there may be. You now have your opportunity to see them in glorious high-definition courtesy, courtesy of Kino Lorber. So we'll move on to um, March 10th. We had a couple of uh, recent releases that, uh, in case you these were Oscar nominees or hopefuls, Bombshell and Uncut Gems are both now available. Mm. Uh, I, I loved Uncut Gems myself. thought it was one of last year's better films. Uh, haven't seen Uncut Gems, but I did check out Bombshell a couple of weeks ago, and I did, it just didn't register with me. It, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm not over the moon about any of his movies, really. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think for me, the problem with him is he doesn't seem to have a distinctive point of view uh, with his political films. It seems like um, you just wish you were a little more, I don't know, taking one side or the other. Maybe I'm not articulating very well, but uh, just doesn't seem like there's a – his point of view is kind of hazy for me, especially with Bombshell. I, I really I felt like that. Uh, but I saw a couple episodes of that Showtime series uh, 
the, was the loudest voice or whatever it was, the one with uh, Russell Crowe where he played uh, mm -hmm. uh, Roger Ailes. And I thought it was much more well done um, than Bombshell. So, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's that I, I don't think that there's – Maybe it's because I think Adam McKay is a lot like Dick Cavett and that he tries to be too clever and he's not. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. He that's, tries to uh, throw in all these like curveballs in terms of style and that kind of thing. And it just, it's distracting more than engaging. Well, yeah, he, he produced it. I think Jay Roach directed it, but still Jay Roach, he's done several of those. All right. You know, it has the feel of like the big short vice uh, it does. Uh, style. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got him all over it. I like Jay Roach. I mean, I've liked some, I've liked recount. I liked uh, game mm -hmm. change. You know, I, I've liked what he's done. Oh yeah. 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 I enjoyed those, but I, I, I did feel like it, it had the, uh, the, the Adam McKay stamp all over it. You're right about that. So he, his, his input was definitely felt. Uh, I'll, I will totally agree. Um, and I like so McKay's not... comedy, uh, you know, oh, I, I think. Oh his yeah. Are... Yeah, sure. Yeah, the candidate, and of course the Austin Powers, and and the Meet the Parents. The candidate. Which one was that? That's the one that had um, oh Zach Galifianakis, where and I I can't remember who right. else. Right. Yeah, where he was like the uh, <laughs> the the, the dim-witted guy. It's exactly it's like a, a better version of Welcome to Mooseport. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, was, <laughs> you know, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> Minus Gene Hackman. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, the 1981 film Inseminoid has been issued by Shout Fa Screen Factory. And, uh, Inseminoid from 1981. This is one that used to turn up on HBO all the time. And uh, back in the day, I used to subscribe to Fangoria Magazine. It was one that would regularly make their covers around that time or they were always having articles about it and eh, it's just one of these type of things where scientists are working in a lab on a distant planet and one of them's attacked uh, one of the scientists is attacked and raped and impregnated by a monstrous creature and then she stalks the colleagues and you know that sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway yeah in seminal sort of happens all the time yeah. Well, you know, these, it's funny, these films like this, that uh, were HBO staples for people of a certain age, you know, they are, they do have their following. Yeah. 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 I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, I've been dying to see the Z channel documentary. I remember seeing it years ago. It's great. But, uh, yeah. It's nowhere to be found. So I got to find it somewhere. Well, I've got a copy. I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to rectify that situation for you. But I'm not touching anything that comes from anyone else. Oh, okay. I got you. Well, I'll, uh, I'll send an alcohol swab. I'll put that in the envelope with it, and you can just... Yes. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the 1968 documentary Salesman. Oh. From the Maisel Brothers. Yeah, this is uh, Albert and David Maisel's. About the yeah. four relentless door-to-door -door salesmen dealing with constant rejection, homesickness, and inevitable burnout as they go across the country selling very expensive Bibles to low-income Catholic families. Fascinating movie, I think. And uh, I am a fan. It's yeah, been a while uh, since I've mean, seen the, it. The Maisels, the Maisels were such a treasure. Um and uh yeah i think they really like uh, uh this broke them in this movie and uh yeah. that i think gray gardens really really submitted them 
years and years later. But uh, yeah, it's an extraordinary movie. Shelter. Didn't the Maisels do? Did, did, oh God, give me shelter. See, give me shelter is probably give me shelter in Harlan County, USA, are my two favorite documentaries of all time. Um, mm-hmm. The Salesman is very good, too. I know that Dean, uh, that was his, uh, not only his favorite documentary, but one of his favorite movies, period. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean, who thinks that I'm an asshole. But uh, <laughs> I'll, still give him, I'll still give him a shout out. Uh, yeah, well, but we're it's, in it's definitely worth saying. It's yeah. definitely worth saying, hey, did, did the Maisels do the Kennedy stuff? Because I remember seeing there's a Kennedy documentary. I mean, it's a documentary short. Um I think they followed him during the campaign and during the early days in the White House or maybe during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Is that the Maisels? I think they were marginally involved. I think uh, Pennebreaker, D.A. Pennebreaker gets there. Pennebreaker uh, did it. Yeah, he yeah gets, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a collection of those on Criterion. Put all, They did three of it's them. Great. And, uh, or he did three of them, and there's a collection of them uh, on Criterion, assembled them and put them together. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's Pennebreaker. And I'm telling you, those are just – priceless historical documents i i think uh, absolutely they're fascinating there's the one where he's dealing with the cuban missile crisis that's really you can't take your eyes yeah. off it it's uh yeah. I, I yeah i have that collection and uh, i highly recommend those for anybody who who hasn't seen them they're quite fascinating yeah so the 1975 film bug no relation to the William Friedkin film. This is the one. This one has a fond place in my heart. I'm not going to tell you it's a it's a great film, but it's it was uh, one of my favorites as a as a kid. I remember seeing it on CBS uh, Friday Night Movie when they used to have a Friday when they would run theatrical movies on Friday nights. Uh, and I was probably six or seven years old. But it's basically there's this earthquake. It was the last film directed by William Castle, the famous William mm. Castle, who you know did all the the, those films back in the fifties, they had all the marketing ploys like Percepto and all that sort of stuff. We're talking about the tingler and those sort of things. But anyway, bug was his final film. He died the two years later, I think of a heart attack. Uh, but it's an interesting film. I think it's based on a novel called the Hephaestus plague. And it stars Bradford Dillman as a scientist in this uh, small California community. And basically what happens is there's an earthquake and the earth opens up and there are these uh, during, obviously during the earthquake and these cockroaches appear. And it turns out that they can start fires there and they've been locked deep within the earth. And now they're wreaking havoc. And so he becomes obsessed with these bugs and he decides to mate them with a regular cockroach and see what happens since he's an entomologist. As and, uh, yeah, sure. as you would, yes. And, of course, that leads to really uh, terrible things for all involved. Uh, but it's uh, it has some very effective scenes, I think. Uh, it's directed by Jeanot Swark, who did later would do Jaws 2 and uh, Somewhere really? in Time. Yeah. And, um, huh. like I said, has some interesting ideas. I think it's an intelligent so film. So Castle, Castle produced it? He directed, actually. I'm, I'm sorry, producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, he did yeah. produce it. I'm sorry. Genox Schwartz and Castle produced it. I'm sorry. You were correct. So he did not direct. It's the last film he you know, was involved in. That's what I meant. And there's a, there's a good documentary about William Castle, uh, Spine Tingler, I think is the mm-hmm. name of the documentary. Yeah, it's, great. it's good because he was kind of like the original showman, but uh, he was like the P.T. Barnum of independent mm-hmm. crap movies. Yeah. But, um, 
it's interesting to consider the the pieces that fall into place that make something occur. It's almost like an inevitable fate. But if William Castle had directed Rosemary's Baby as he was determined to do before mm-hmm. Paramount gave it to Polanski, we might not have had the the Sharon Tate murder. You know, there's it's just one more piece that because maybe he wouldn't have maybe Polanski wouldn't have been in as successful a place to actually buy that property on Cielo Drive. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. a little piece. If you take it out, it might have changed fate totally. But we wouldn't That's have had true. a great movie like Rosemary's Baby either if Castle had directed it. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine what kind of marketing ploys he would have come up with for, for Rosemary's Baby when you think of that. <laughs> uh, insurance policies for those who uh, when the, who don't who, uh, who, who's, who are able to withstand seeing the actual revelations of Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Could have handed out like condoms at the door. You will not want to conceive a child. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Well, continuing on, we'll just say that Kino Lorber has issued a couple of Westerns night passage from 1957 starring James Stewart and Audie Murphy. Another Jimmy Stewart from 66, the rare breed. And that also has Brian Keith co-starring and the Dana Andrews starer Canyon Passage from 1946. Hmm. Uh, Those are all Westerns that Kino has issued. And Warner Archives has issued Boo Brummel starring Stuart Granger, Elizabeth Taylor, and Peter Ustinov. That's Bo Brummel. Yeah, Boo Brummel, 1954. And, um, you know, Captain Bo Brummel complains to the designer of his regiment's uniform, who just happens to be the Prince of Wales. It's an unlikely beginning of a great friendship, one that leads to swordsmen, one that leads swordsmen and dandy Brummel into lofty circles, royal intrigue, and the arms of lovely lady Patricia. So there you go. That's the actual description on the back of the Warner Archive edition of Bo Brummel that has just been issued and with a brand new... 2020 transfer as they're labeling it. No extras, mm. but if you're a fan of Bo Brummel, there you go. And I uh, uh, haven't gotten around to watching it myself, but it's always been well regarded, and it's one that I anticipate seeing soon. So, so I took a vow, set this bumblebee, Bo Brummel. That's, <laughs> that's a that's a musical uh, theater song. Uh, All I need is the girl. I think. Yeah, <clears throat> the uh, that that. That title of that film has become, um, you know, it. Ins- there was even a group in the '60s called the Bo Brummels. So that really? it has, yeah, had a hit or two. So that uh, that name has been uh, mm. uh, has become a pop cultural staple in in many areas. It really has. So another Warner Archive film is The Stalking Moon from 1968, directed by um robert mulligan who made summer Ooh. 42 and to kill a mockingbird and the other one of my favorite horror films of course of all time and this one's gregory peck eva marie saint and the recently deceased robert forster and wasn't there wasn't there an actor named robert mulligan too <clears throat> uh, his brother was richard mulligan that was his brother from soap oh in night court yeah uh, yeah i think he was on that uh, okay. a time or two but yeah that was his brother richard mulligan oh yeah i didn't know that they were related so yeah I, yeah that's that's what i was asking cool thank you yeah I, yeah I, he's I, also an sob the uh, blake edwards film you don't have to insult him but, uh... <laughs> yeah he's the one that plays the depressed director you remember he kills himself and then yes. they drag his corpse around yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, yeah it's it's great 
Yeah, well, this is an interesting movie. Uh, one of my very close friends, this is one of his top five favorite films of all time. He's always wow. uh, waxed poetically about the stalking moon as long as I've known him. And that's been quite a while. It's uh, screenplay is by Alvin Sargent, who would later go on to pen yeah. um, Paper Moon and Ordinary People, of course, and not to mention the uh, original Star Wars trilogy. He had input on all three of those films, the ones from the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. So and Dragnet. And Dragnet. yeah, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, that's some that's a move. That's a comedy from the 80s that nobody talks about anymore. Dragnet. I love it. It has a lot of laughs too. I, I always hoped there would there would be a sequel, but never materialized. Is is that is that represented on Blu-ray? It is. It is. Yeah, Shout Factory did a Shout Select release of it. I think about a year and a half ago, and it's got a okay. couple of uh, the ver- the actress that plays the Virgin Connie Swale appears in the extras in a interview segment. So, uh. <laughs> wasn't that Alexandra Paul? It was. Yes. Yeah. 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 She's been on our show. She came on our show to talk about American flyers. Oh, uh, yeah. I was, you know, I just threw caution to the wind. I said, Oh, I'll send her an invite. She said, yes. And I said, really? You want to talk about American flyers? Okay, let's do it. So yeah. Interesting. <laughs> totally forgot yeah, about I, that. I remember that. And, and I'm sure the shout select Blu-ray has city of crime, the music video. Um, I want to say it to. does. I believe it does. Yeah, I think yeah, it you does. Can, you can't do a Dragnet edition without that. Yeah, I believe it does. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. They re- remastered the picture and it looks good. I've I've got it. So yeah, it's uh yeah. You know, I talked to Jack O'Halloran. You know, a couple of years yeah. ago about it. You know, we we talked about it and he was very uh had very fond memories of it and was uh you know he said there was talk of a sequel for a while and um. You know, and the thing is, he he said that Harry Morgan was suffering from early onset dementia at the time. And there was that one scene where he's in the restaurant uh, mm-hmm. having a, a meal with um, Dan Aykroyd. And he said they after the scene was after they took a break, um, he disappeared. They had to go out looking for him. He, he just he lost. He forgot where he was at. It was, yeah. it was really kind of scary. Yeah. It's a terrible. Disease. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But, you know, Christopher Plummer and. Yeah. Dabney, Dabney Coleman playing like a thinly veiled Hugh Hefter is yes. yeah, great cast. It's great. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, here's one that's uh, not so well regarded. Uh, Dab- hang on. Yeah. Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman. Now, here's a childhood favorite of mine is Cloak and Dagger, even though I, I can barely remember anything of it because it's been decades since I've seen it. But I remember... That being an HBO staple when I was a little kid and watching it over and over again. Is that on Blu-ray? I do believe it is. I think that might be another Shout uh, Select, one of theirs. It's either Shout or Arrow, I think, is issued. I, I'm pretty sure it's out there. Okay. And I believe that's directed by Richard Franklin, who made Psycho 2 and Road Games. I think that's the same director. I believe is it, it is. Richard Franklin, or is it the... Um... I think it is. Or is it the guy that, um, or is it Richard Benjamin? I believe it's Richard Franklin. I'd have to. You're probably right. You're I'd probably have right. to look it up. But yeah, because he, he was kind of a hot commodity at that time. And I've been trying to find um, uh, contact for Richard uh, Benjamin uh, because he was involved in a movie in the nineteen in nineteen seventy, and uh, I'm having no luck. But yeah, uh, Cloak and Dagger is Franklin. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah, because he was. I remember he was kind of his career was pretty hot at that time, and then it kind of 
petered out before he passed away in the um, the mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah, Richard Benjamin, are you talking about uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife? Maybe uh, is that the one you're thinking about? Talking? Yeah, to? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's it. that just recently was released digitally. Kino's putting that out real soon. I had never seen that movie, and it always was well regarded. You know, it's it's been notoriously hard to find, even though it was an Oscar winner. Is he in Catch Twenty Two as well? I think so. As, as an actor. But I recently saw Diary of a Mad Housewife for the first time when it was digitally released a couple of weeks ago, and it's pretty good. I have to admit, that's it's a pretty it's um. He isn't. Yeah. He had he had uh, Catch Twenty Two and Diary of a Mad Mad Housewife in the same year in nineteen seventy, mm -hmm. and he married uh, his co star in Catch Twenty Two, Paula Prentice. Paula Prentice, yes, still, still married. married to this day. Yeah, it's a long lasting marriage. Yeah, he is great in Diary of a Mad Housewife. He is just his. He is so annoying. You just you just hate him from the opening frame of the, the first time he appears on screen and you hate him when the movie ends and he does mm. such a good job just being such a heel <laughs> in the film he really really is oh i have his wife's contact so maybe the way to get to him is having her yeah. come on the show too yeah well he's gilbert and frank had him on so he's doing that sort of thing okay. and uh, it was I'm, great I'm, I'm letting our audience listen to our the machinations of us putting shows <laughs> this is the way it happens folks Absolutely. By the way, we're, we are um, – all of my uh, efforts have been concentrated on putting together this Movie Geek yearbook thing, and then um, I won't go into it. Three, three weeks ago, I died. So um, <laughs> That's why you haven't love, heard from us in a while, folks. I, I love saying that, yeah. I, I went into cardiac arrest, and they had to revive me. Yes. Um, I'm okay stuff. now. I'm okay now. Uh, anyway, so all my efforts have been put on this movie geek yearbook thing for months, like since November of last year. And it's a, it's a slow going process. So if you're wondering why hasn't there been a lot of content, Adam's done some interviews that we're posting and, uh, we apologize for the delay, but there's good reason for it. And you guys are going to love movie geek yearbook. It's, uh, if you, the, the film history that we provide on this show, if that's what you appreciate most about this show, the movie geek yearbook is right up your alley. Yes, indeed. Like I said, I've got a few things in the pipeline, so we'll keep you uh, satiated in the meantime with with my stuff. It's going to pale in comparison to your stuff, but it's something. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's you've been you've been you've done some interviews for me too. With the um, you interviewed, uh, I mean, we'll give people a preview. You interviewed uh, Gavin Gavin McLeod mm -hmm. for uh, Kelly's Heroes, which came out in 1970. You interviewed uh, Lee Purcell, who was in a movie called Adam at 6 a.m. in 1970. And so, I mean, we're like scouring. Uh, and we've had, uh, there's so many interesting stories about the movies of 1970. And uh, a lot of them for the movies that you're, you'd think uh, there would be no story. Uh, you get some fascinating nuggets from movies you might, might not have even heard of. Mm-hmm. So you guys are going to, I'll post a preview of it soon, but uh, I'm looking to premiere it in June uh, of this year. Hopefully it won't take until June of next year. <laughs> Hopefully not. But you never know. Yeah. Well, we're just, we're hoping for the best with everything that's going on in the world right now. So, yeah. Um, so here's the 2003 film. Uh, still, again, uh, haven't gotten around to seeing this one, but it's, uh, it's one of these films that did not get a good word of mouth when it came out. And the word of mouth is still not so good about it uh, either. 
Masked and Anonymous, starring uh -huh. Bob Dylan and directed by Larry Charles, uh -huh. uh, better known for his directing Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes. This is the one where Bob Dylan plays a thinly veiled, uh, thinly disguised version of himself, I guess you would say, where he's a famous rock star who's released from prison long enough to do a benefit show and also co-stars Jeff Bridges, Penelope Cruz, John Goodman, Jessica Lange, and Luke Wilson. What a cast, right? And you would th yeah. think you would think with all that pedigree that this would be a great film, but apparently, when I hear it, uh, really doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 some some of my colleagues have have said it's almost unwatchable. I don't know. Uh, maybe it has its fans, and I can't wait I to find is. out for myself. So. And uh, so I'm not saying one way or the other, but I just know the, uh, you know, the, that Shout Select has put it out, and I'm glad they did for the fans of the film. And there's a making of Mask and Anonymous and a new interview with Larry Charles and commentary and deleted scenes. So there you go, Mask and Anonymous. Uh, an interesting film I discussed with you off the air the other night. Uh, this is a new one. Uh, it's called Recorder, which came out at the end of last year. Recorder, the Marion Stokes project, which got really terrific reviews. Um, it's a documentary about a woman. Marion Stokes is her name, uh, was her name. She passed away in 2012 and she was, I guess, a little obsessive compulsive. And she uh, married a, a wealthy gentleman who was able, where she was able to live a, a lifestyle that didn't, wasn't incumbent upon her earning a living on a regular basis day-to-day -day basis. So basically what she started doing was recording television news round the clock. She started in 1979 with the Iran Iranian hostage crisis at the dawn of the 24-hour news cycle. She started and her VCRs were running 24 hours a day, multiple VCRs, uh, for basically 33 years until 2012. And she, when she died, on December 14th, 2012, while the Sandy Hook Massacre played on television. So what she was able to accomplish in those years was to capture part of life on this planet as we know it in a really unique and amazing way. This is a fascinating documentary about this woman and her her obsession with with taping 24-hour news and she her there's a 70,000 tapes that she left behind. They uh, were the guy who runs the internet archive has, they were donated to him and he's in the process of cataloging them now as we speak, but this is an interesting film. It's been released by Kino Lorber. Um, I would recommend people to seek it out. Recorder, the recorder, the Marion Stokes project from 2019. So those are the kind of things that slip under the cracks and we sometimes miss them. And uh, I was aware of it, but I didn't get a chance to see it until now. And uh, I just wanted to get the word out on that one. So there you go. Um, so we'll move on. We're, we're getting there. March 17th, a uh, couple of uh, new releases that came out. The latest Jumanji, <laughs> Richard Jewell, and A Hidden Life are out there. The uh, the Hidden Life, we, uh, the latest from um, Terrence Malick. Did you get a chance to see that? And I'm, no, not yet. Yeah, it, uh, I thought it was. it's more narrative-driven than his last couple of films. It's not bad. Uh, it could stand to be shortened a little bit, but uh, it, it has its moments. Anyway, the Universal Horror Collection, Volume 4. This is a, a Scream Factory release, 
and it's a couple more of the this is and they've got a fifth volume that's been announced it's coming soon but this one includes night key night monster the climax and house of horrors most of these have you know there's a couple here with bella lugosi and mm. boris karloff and you know the ones that you would Man, expect i saw um i think i told you this i saw targets for the first time the other day speaking mm-hmm. of karloff and uh it's quite a movie i i it liked is. it you know it's like a th- three and a half out of five star movie for me i liked it well I but liked it's so, so interesting how he never made a movie like it again <clears throat> like you would not see that as a bogdanovich movie no today. absolutely not it's it's quite quite good yeah i'm totally there with you I guess there's an alternate universe where if he hadn't have taken the mantle on the last picture show, he probably would have made several horror films or in that wheelhouse after targets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's again, like you were saying earlier, it's interesting how careers go one way and then, you know, history has changed. So, yeah. So the 1980 film cannibal Holocaust has been issued. uh, This is a, I believe this is a Kino release mm. and uh, this is John Saxon. So, you know, he was, that's the kind of stuff he was involved in around that time. John Saxon's still among us. Thank goodness. Still with us. Uh, Criterion has issued bedazzled. I mean, I'm sorry, not bedazzled, bamboozled. Sorry. <laughs> Looking at something else. Sorry. Bamboozled the Spike Lee film from 2000. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what your feelings are about this. Uh, I think it has its moments. Not entirely successful, but yeah, I never did watch Bamboozled. That's probably that and Red Hook Summer. Probably the um. No, I never saw Miracle at Saint Anna either. Uh huh. So there's there's a few Spike Lee movies that are off my radar. Yeah. Well, now you have your chance with the new Criterion release. <laughs> Uh, Force 10 from Navarone starring Harrison Ford and Robert Shaw this was the first film I think uh, Harrison Ford was involved with after Star Wars the 1977 Star Wars so it's a the uh, quasi sequel to the guns of Navarone mm-hmm. 60s from 61 I believe it did uh, it used to turn up on cable quite a bit I remember in the early days of HBO another one of those uh, we have the Contractor and The Fan. I'm talking about The Fan with Robert De Niro. A double oh, feature that, from that Mill Fan. Creek. Yeah, that one. From Mill Creek, they're issuing this double feature of The Contractor and The Fan. I like Tony Scott a whole lot. I miss him. Yeah, I don't necessarily too. miss The Fan. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I liked him as a, as a stylist. I liked him as a personality. As, mm-hmm. as a, I, I don't give a shit personality. But I, I do think that he was, um, in terms of a mainstream filmmaker, I think he towed the line between mainstream and avant-garde like in a very unique way, mm-hmm. uh, just from a stylistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to see the other fan. I was thinking about this the other last week. I, I've never seen the 70s fan with uh, Lauren Bacall. Yeah, 1981, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. It recently came out from Screen Factory, put it out back in November, I think. Uh, it's not great, I have to admit. Uh, you know, I know it has its fans, it has its defenders, oh. but it's. Uh, I read the novel years ago that it's based on. The novel's much more effective. And the novel is written as a series of letters escalating in um, 
in intensity uh, written from right. the successive fan. So it's not your typical novel. So it's it's very interesting. I read it when I was about 11 or 12 years old. So I, I, it was one of the first novels I ever read, actually. Um, so, but I'd, like, I'd like for them to make a movie called The Fan and have it actually be about a fan. <laughs> like a ceiling fan or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that that's an interesting concept because what it could be, it could be the ceiling fan in a bedroom and all the different shenanigans that go on in right. a bedroom over the years and told from the perspective. The, of the-, the fan has a consciousness and, and – he eventually comes to the conclusion that his life really blows. <laughs> That's it. I think we've hit upon something, my friend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, anybody who's, who missed that film in the, uh, from Tony Scott's legacy, the fan. So there you go. And, and the contractor, what is the contractor? Um, I think it's a Wesley Snipes. Uh, oh, not, uh, okay. yeah, 1990, 2007. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, must've been around that time when he was getting ready to, to do his stretch in the, in the yeah. jug, as they say. <laughs> Might as well have been titled pay my back taxes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, man of the shadow from 1957 man of the shadow starring Jeff Chandler and Orson Welles. Speaking of doing something for a paycheck, that was probably one of Orson Welles, I'll do this so I can finance my next film uh, project. And this is a Kino release and uh, raw courage from 1984. Not really familiar with this one, but uh, anyway, it's another Kino issue there. Uh, The quest from 1986. Yeah. I I believe so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so. Let's see here. Get a little more information about this one. It's a Kino Lorber release, and this is uh, actually Henry Thomas. Uh, it's a different The Quest. Oh. Yeah, you're thinking about the one from the 90s, I believe. Hector Moore and uh, John Claude Van Damme. Was, wasn't that yeah. called The Quest? Mm-hmm. There was. It's a different one, though. Yeah. I have no idea how I even know that. <laughs> I just triggered a reserve in my brain that's frightening to me. how how did i know about a john claude and roger moore movie (laughs) well you you are correct sir yeah well the 1923 and the 1956 versions of the ten commandments have been issued in a a a a book a set that's uh, actually put together like a book it has both versions. Um, these are exi- pre-existing transfers, not new transfers, not new extras, but just new packaging of the Ten Commandments, the 23 silent version and the 1956 remake, both directed by Cecil B. DeMille, but quite different films, uh, not even remotely close in content. Uh, they're, they're, they're totally different films. So anybody, and I know we're all familiar with them. We've all seen them on yeah. TV over the years, if nothing else. So Man, I, I, I rewatched, uh, speaking of DeMille and um, Samson and Delilah, uh, I rewatched that Hedy Lamar documentary the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating documentary. It was a really fascinating portrait. Yeah, sure was. Very interesting, too. A lot of stuff there I didn't know about, for sure. Well, the, uh, the final film directed by Stanley Kramer... Uh, the man who gave us such films as mm-hmm. witness for the prosecution, of course, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. And um, this is the runner stumbles the starring Dick Van Dyke and Kathleen. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Witness for the prosecution. He sure did. Um, oh, okay, okay. I'm, Dick I'm, Van Dyke I'm and Anatomy Cap- of a Murder. Well, that's Otto Preminger. Yeah, Preminger. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke, Kathleen Quinlan, Maureen Stapleton, and Ray Bolger, the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. That's an and Bo Bridges. What a can, interesting cast. Yeah, this is about a. a, a oh, here's another two, great. Here's right? another great YouTube clip. There, there's yeah. a like I forget what year it was, seventy six or something. If you look on YouTube, they have openings of all the Academy Award ceremonies from the seventies and sixties. <laughs> and there's one year where Ray Bolger did a big dance number at the opening of the Oscars, and it started outside of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, and then it made its way inside. Um, oh, interesting. I watched that. And then if you look at the comments on that YouTube clip, there's there's some the top comment is from one of the female dancers who talks about how how friendly Ray Bulger was during that whole process of doing that opening number. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, I could imagine that. You always seem like a nice guy. I mean, people (laughs) talk about that snow that. That Snow White thing being embarrassing. I mean, they 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 set a bar before the Snow White Rob Lowe thing for embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so March twentieth, we'll move on to that. Um, speaking of Jean Claude Van Damme, sudden death from nineteen ninety five is being issued by Universal. <laughs> yeah, one of the decent ones, right? That's the yeah, uh, Peter Himes, right? That's right. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yep, Powers Booth. Uh huh. That is correct. Yeah, the late great, we must say, because we really—I was such a huge fan of his. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a pretty one of the better ones of the vehicles he did, for sure. But yeah, that's a that's a March twentieth release. Then we'll move right on to March twenty fourth and nineteen seventeen. The recent Oscar nominees getting. It's getting its release in 4K and Blu-ray. And then we have April Fool's Day from oh. 1986 is being issued in a yeah. brand new um, special edition from Scream Factory. This has new interviews with the director, Fred Walton, actors Deborah Goodrich-Royce and Clayton Rohner, and cinematographer Charles Minsky and composer Charles Bernstein, theatrical trailer and TV spots and a new transfer. So April Fool's Day, which I know is a big... That has a huge cult fandom out there. I don't think I've interviewed Charles Bernstein. I'd like to though. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's he's done so many good scores. Oh yeah, Elm Street and the Cujo, of course, and the Entity is a fantastic score that he did. He did did some really good stuff in the eighties. Amy and I like. uh, I used to like April Fool's Day when I was a teenager. The uh, Amy Steele. Uh, so she yes. was coming, she was coming off of the second Friday, the 13th. That's right, she, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I gotta say, <coughs> excuse me. I got a bit of the Corona. Um, I gotta say that, that, that movie introduced me to that three dog night song. Mama told me not to come. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And I always equate it with that movie now. So it always, that song always sounds a little creepy to me. It is a creepy sounding song. That's why they used it. Oh Yeah. Time. Written by the great Randy Newman. You know, really? Funny. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because the first time I ever saw Randy Newman live, uh, he just walks out onto the stage. No fanfare. It was the year he won the Academy Award, too, uh, 2002. And he walked out onto the stage. No fanfare. No announcement. Nothing at all. Polo shirt, jeans, and just 
launches into mama told me not to come. That was the way he started. And it was fantastic. The whole show was just uh, amazing. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. That's great. Yeah, it was you great. Know, and you know, I would never equate that song with Randy Newman, but, uh, you know, I'd never equate, um, I just <clears throat> dropped in to see what condition my condition was in with Kenny Rogers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is probably one of his great, greatest songs. I tell you what, man, I did feel a t- tinge of childhood dying when they announced Kenny Rogers' death yesterday. Oh, of course. He was, he was a major part of my upbringing, his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I mean, he, it's one of those voices that was always there. You know, he was just always in our, like, soundtrack of our lives kind of thing. Whether you liked his music or not, and apparently he was a really nice guy from everybody that yeah. – that really that had to deal with him he just i've heard some interesting trivia about him over the years too that he didn't he would walk into the studio not having seen any of the songs and he would just walk in and do them right there for the first time uh, most of the stuff he he had a he had a great ear for for a good song Mm -hmm. Uh, and there were a lot of great songs one of his greatest hits albums they've released like 30 of them over the years oh yeah there was one that was a major mainstay for me. And it's such unusual. Like if you think about the way he sings a song, like something's burning, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is a, you know, a slow burn, sexy song. And the way he used his voice is so unique. You know, he didn't just, it wasn't just a song he took to the mic and just sang. There's a real kind of interpretive thing going on that he does with his voice in a song like that. Oh Yeah. Prince wrote a song for him. He asked Prince to write a song for him and Prince said, okay. And he was shocked that he said, okay, but he, he recorded the song that Prince wrote for him. Uh, I can't, it wasn't a hit. Um, yeah. I forget what the title is, but there's a, he, he sang a Prince song <laughs> and he's got some great, it's got great love or something like it, you know, through the, uh, um, the years? I, I don't need you. Uh, I always liked that song 20 years ago. Oh yeah, that is great. I'd totally forgotten about that. Oh, beautiful song. That yeah. really is. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go look that he one did up. Great duets. Uh, oh, and my favorite Kenny Rogers song is from Six Pack. Oh, love is, will turn, uh, it, turn you around. Love will turn you around. I love that song. Yeah. yeah. And his remake of uh, "We've Got Tonight" with Sheena Easton is not bad either. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, a major. You know. Uh, probably one of the first and most successful crossover artists we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to how he parlayed that into, you know, a job as an actor, side career as an actor. I mean, most of it was in television films. He did make the one chant, uh, the, the, uh, op- uh, took the one shot at, you know, having a theatrical release. Unfortunately, he picked the summer of 82 to do it, which was six pack, of course. And that uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know that it would matter when it was released, oh, I mean, well, but, but it is one of those movies. Again, another one of those cable staples yes, that, exactly. that kids, kids couldn't get away from. And I read a, a snippet from an older interview with Anthony Michael Hall, who was one of those kids in that movie, one of the six pack. And he just talked about what a great man Kenny Rogers was. He said he was so fatherly to all the children. And he was just truly a special person. Yeah. It's hard to find a bad word said about him. He's just, uh, just always, always good things you heard. And, and it's amazing too. His last number one record, as far as on the country charts was in 1999. So he, he had a career that, He's well, and he was into his sixties by that point, I think. So you know, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good run. Um, yeah. 
And he so, always, it didn't, didn't matter how many concerts, you know, he always had an audience there for him. Oh yeah. I wanted to see him. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I regret that I never did see him live. I never did. And I, I kind of regret it now at the time you just, he was so, uh, you know, just always there and you didn't think about it. You know, it's like, well, eh, I'll see him someday. And then like Willie like, Nelson. I've never seen Willie Nelson either. And I, I, I always say to myself, God, I would love to see Willie Nelson just to say I've seen him mm-hmm. but he's yeah. around forever. So you take him for granted. You do. Yeah. I, I same, same with Kenny Rogers. I kind of took him for granted until, uh, until you can anymore. And it's like, they're not around. It's like, well, they can't, they're, like the rest of us, they can't go on forever. So. Now, when I was a kid, and the reason why Kenny Rogers was such a huge deal for me when I was a kid is because we had like a, an Opry house here mm-hmm. and, and near my town here in Florida. And so when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a singer. And so I, and I started out in country music. And so when I was eight years old, I was uh, from eight to 12, I was headlining this Opry house. Mm-hmm. And so they would, I'd get paid. Uh, so I had a paying singing gig when I was eight. And so, uh, and I sang a lot of Kenny Rogers cause he was all the popularity at the time in the early eighties when I was doing this and they'd send me out to like, uh, events like the strawberry festival, which is where Kenny Rogers played there every year. And then they, one year they sent me to, uh, sing at the orange blossom jamboree. And there was literally like a half a million people there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all, all, it looked like Woodstock. And it was all the country superstars. And I remember I came on stage and sang a couple of numbers. And then right after me, uh, Ronnie Millsap came on stage and sang. But uh, wow. he, yeah, he didn't see me. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. So yeah, country music actually had a special place in my heart. I, and I, you know, when I listen to some of it, I like, I'm not big into new music anyway, because I'm kind of set in my ways, but it, it's not like the old country, you know, I, I miss the old country. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. They, well, well, there was something different about the old country too. That's um, th- those songs. And I hate to sound like an old man when I say this and I know I will, but that's okay. I'll just do it anyway. You know, contemporary country music is now it's about um, brands and the you know, kind of like uh, contemporary pop music. You know, it's, it's about the, the shirt you're wearing and my pickup truck and my red solo cup. And it's, you know, the old songs were about the struggles of the working class man and the, the romantic problems and the problems making ends meet and the, yeah, there there was a fair share of songs too about drinking and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, there there were country, country music with a, a great deal of depth, but there were also the fun, of you course. Know, like the Mo and Joe Bandy and that kind of stuff that uh, Mickey Gilly and all yeah. that kind of stuff that was kind of more on the fun loving side. But I think the difference was that back then it didn't feel like branding. It felt like their brand was authentic. Yes. I mean, that's a good way to put it. Johnny, uh, Johnny cash was not, uh, uh, dreamed up in a, in a marketing meeting. I mean, he was authentically himself. So the oh, music yeah. was equally authentic, the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, you know, there was some of those artists like the Statler brothers. I mean, some of their stuff is so, so, there's a lot of depth there. I mean, like the, I think of their song, the class of 57, which basically they, they recite 
the all the people that they graduated with and what what became of them and it yeah. just it doesn't have to be 57 it could be 2007 2017 it's 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 funny how life goes on but yet that those themes in that song are so universal oh, about yeah. how, you know and it's just amazing I mean, there's there's still albums that i i still listen to in in total you know there's a <laughs> this conway twitty album southern comfort that i can listen to from beginning to end mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're willie nelson you know um uh, obviously redheaded stranger but there's also oh, an album called tougher than leather which is, has great stories i remember that album it. that is oh. great yeah love it absolutely anyway, gosh what a tangent well, you know, we had to say something about Kenny Rogers because he was part of the filmmaking community. He's, he did some films. I mean, yeah. you have to, I mean, that's not too far off. So I'll never yeah. forget one day passing Kenny Rogers roasters with my friend Rick and uh, Rick said, Oh, it closed down. And I was like, well, you got to know when to fold them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, We'll move along here with the 1989 film, probably the first film ever made uh, based on a video game, I think. If nothing else, it was a trendsetter for that one. Fred Savage in The Wizard. Oh, God, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> uh, I guess there are some people, again, with deep nostalgia for this one. Since I was well out of high school by the time this film came out, it wasn't. it certainly wasn't for me. So... Um, what can I tell you? Uh, but I know there, I, when this title was announced, a lot of people went gaga over it, but, uh, anyway, it has a new audio commentary with the director never before released deleted scenes. Mm. Uh, the di- second disc has all kinds of documentaries, a post-screening Q and a from 2019, and it's a new 4k transfer and it has a photo gallery. So anybody who's a fan of the wizard, it's a two disc special edition from shout select. Uh, if that's your thing. I would highly recommend I mean, picking did a it up. screening of it in 2019. I guess they did a 30th anniversary. I would, I would assume somewhere. So, and they probably packed the house. I would assume because, uh, you know, so the 1957 film, the cranes are flying has been released from that's uh, from criterion. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to mention that one, another one of the criterion releases uh, along with lever to heaven is another criterion release. This is, uh, probably the best film that, in my opinion, Gene Tierney ever star- starred in. It's a pretty amazing film noir about a beautiful socialite who just, um, well, she gets into a marriage before she thinks what she's doing. And um, then before you know it, her devotion reveals really monstrous depths as her husband comes to realize his wife might not be which, what she seemed to be at first. Uh, I think we've lived that a couple of times, uh, maybe not having married these people. You know, it's fascinating <laughs> how uh, I'd like to do one day like a series about uh, women in film, but um, it's fascinating how we're talking about women uh, and their place in the film industry mm-hmm. in recent decades. And then you look at the beginning of the the film studio system mm-hmm. and women had all the juicy roles. Women were the selling point of so many movies back in the day. That's true. That is uh, I'm, t- true. I'm talking, especially, you know, in the thirties and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to learn more about that. History yeah. Of that. yeah I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not saying they were treated well, which is oh. a big part of the argument about today, but in terms of being a, uh, 
a sellable point of, of mainstream cinema. I mean, they were it Mm -hmm. to a large extent, you know, back then. Totally agree. Yeah. And leave her to heaven is a good example of that because uh, she's, it's a great performance. Uh, She's a real monster in this film. (laughs) Yeah. But you think about uh, Jean Harlow or Myrna Loy or Hedy Lamarr. Yeah. Any of the great actresses, they were, they were the selling point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is filmed in beautiful uh, color, to, uh, a rare color film for 1945. It's beautifully filmed in color. Uh, it's a new 2K digital restoration by the Academy Film Archive and the Film Foundation, and it has a new interview with critic Imogene Sarah Smith, and that's the only extra on it. Mm. So anyway, uh, Doddsworth is another release. That's from 1936. That's a Warner Archive release, and this has been a notoriously uh, bad looking presentations on DVD previously starring Walter Houston and directed by William Wyler. Frankenstein, the true story from 1973 is a well-regarded television adaptation of the story of Frankenstein. It's supposedly truer to the original novel. It has Jane Seymour and uh, Michael Sarazen and Leonard Whitting was previously in Romeo and Juliet in 1968. This is a, a film that's near and dear to one of our, uh, a friend of the show's heart, Mr. Sam Irvin, who came on to talk to us about the fury. He's worked, worked with De Palma on the fury and dressed to kill. We're hoping to get him on uh, uh, soon to talk about dressed to kill for its 40th, but he does a commentary here, an audio commentary. This is a three hour and six minute film too. And supposedly the commentary is there's hardly a gap uh, he had a he on Facebook. He posted a look what looked like a book of the uh, script for his <laughs> commentary. Yeah. So very very That's good. It's a well prepared yeah. guy. Yeah, he uh, really is. He's good. Interesting. Yeah. Michael Saracen, man, he was all over the place, and he really petered yeah. out. His life petered out. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Tarantino wrote about one Michael Saracen movie the other week. Sometimes a great notion, which yeah. I have I have not seen, but. Uh, I haven't either. Much of the review centered around one shocking moment in the movie. So uh, it kind of piqued my interest to watch it. Paul Newman movie. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his work in They Shoot Horses, Don't They, obviously. And um, The Reincarnation Reincarnation of Peter Proud is another one of his films that I think is kind of flies under the radar. That he, was ever, he was everywhere back in the day. And actually, the, the thing that I think about every time I think about Michael Sarenson is the, with the murdered actress that I investigated for so many years, Krista Helm. They said that Sarenson was probably the only man she ever loved. Like they dated and lived together for a while. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. There's mm. pictures of them together and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, sadly, no longer with us. Um, the Godspell is being reissued by Sony uh, with a ton of new extras, most of which were produced by our, or, or either the interviews were conducted by our, another friend of the show, Lee Gambin. He's Good. involved with this extensively and he does a, a very in-depth commentary. And so this is chock full of new special features that have never been issued before and it's a new transfer so godspell the 1973 musical God, be- that is so weird dude yeah because i just mentioned krista helm and 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 she was an initial investor in the broadway production of godspell when that first, really that's what the money that she lived off of most of her life wow isn't that weird that that really is yeah this is and the movie is a time capsule of it's really kind of bittersweet and sad to look at it because, you know, the World Trade Centers were 
mm. just springing up around that time. And so when you go back and look at this movie, it's like a time capsule of a, t- of a place that doesn't exist anymore that in, in our lifetime has even sprung up and come and gone. Uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, you know, we covered, we covered some of the Godspell story in that Krista Helm episode. And it's an interesting story because, uh, the mob was involved in Broadway productions back then. And so Godspell was, was, uh, financed, uh, in, in at least some part by mob money. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The mob was involved in Broadway shows, but <laughs> I know. Yeah, not just not just the strip clubs down the street, but the actual legitimate theater, <laughs> and one with a religious theme. Uh, to yeah. be, this is about Jesus, you know, in modern day society. Yeah, and uh, and trivia question, useless trivia. What was the one top forty song that came from the film Godspell? Does anybody remember? <laughs> that would be Day by Day, which actually made the top forty. Mm. So yeah, I think it made the top twenty actually. So it was pretty, pretty substantial hit. Uh-huh. And I, I think the, uh, I think the label is actually credited to Godspell, not a particular artist. So anyway, neither here nor there. The part, the passion of darkly noon. That's uh, another arrow video release. Their pre, their other release of the month I mentioned, uh, was uh, Kansas city and the passion of darkly noon, um, stars Brendan Fraser and, Ashley Judd and Viggo Mortensen, and this is from 1995. It has a new image gallery, previously unreleased demos of the music score, theatrical trailer, newly filmed interview with the composer of the film. The news just the news just broke. Uh, Harvey Weinstein has tested positive for coronavirus. Really? It sounds like a joke, but. Interesting. Yeah, that's strange. How would he? Uh, hmm. Oh well, <laughs> I don't know what to that's say. Another, that's that. another concern when this thing spreads in prisons. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's bound to happen at some point. Uh, I hope not, but I have a fear that it could. Yeah. Not that people give a shit about prison. Uh, well. <clears throat> yeah. Well, the Passion of Darkly Noon from 1995. Uh, yeah. We- we do the show and it just consists of you constantly trying to get us back on topic. Uh, yeah. I don't know what to say about that. I have no idea. I just, that threw me for a loop. Oh, wow. Well, anyway, um, I'd said all I needed to say about that one. Anyway, endless night from 1972 return from the ashes from 65 and 1965. And my gun is quick from 1957. Uh, the latter, My Gun is Quick as Mickey Spillane, based on one of his books. All three of those are Kino releases that are coming your way, along with Murder in Greenwich Village from 1937. So Kino's really on top of it with all their multiple releases. Hmm. And just a couple more titles here. Uh, the 1936 version of Showboat is being issued by Criterion, which is considered by many people to be the best version of Showboat. Uh, in spite of it being remade in the 50s. And all the Star Wars films are being released on 4K. This is, again, March 31st, the release date on these. All the Star Wars films being issued on 4K, I guess that's a big deal. Um, I I don't need to say anything else about those, I don't suppose. Uh, Prince of Tides is another Criterion release. Uh, Of course, Barbara Streisand's version of the Pat Conroy adaptation of the Pat Conroy novel. And, you know, it has 
some good moments in it, but there are some moments that are a little cringeworthy, I admit. It's a mixed bag for me. Um, Nick Nolte is the movie for me. Yes. Yes. That was a great period of time for Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, I think Streisand ruins it. I think. Yeah. Uh, her her, know, uh, her fingernails do more of the acting than than she does in the film, from what I remember. Well, I think, and I don't care if the book <laughs> I don't care if the book does this or not. It, but it doesn't feel right for the movie. She makes herself the star of the movie, and you're so deeply invested in yeah. the Elsie story. I totally agree. That Lowenstein really should stay supporting, but mm-hmm. uh, and it's gorgeous to look at. It looks like a uh, it looks like some kind of uh, tourism. Uh, for for wherever it takes place south, south carolina. carolina yeah south carolina but uh you know it has you know and the music is overpowering and i even though on its own i think it's a beautiful score it just feels so syrupy mm-hmm. but and it, and it contrasts so uh, uh oddly with the, the sincerity of nick nolte's performance you know mm-hmm. totally agree good assessment yeah mm. Well, the 1960, you know, the Munsters went off the air in 1966, but they didn't end it there. You know, they did a feature film version of the Munsters called Munster Go Home. <laughs> they reunited the uh, complete cast of the original Munsters television series, and it was shot in color, which makes it a little more interesting since the television series was filmed in black and white. Uh, that's been issued by Screen Factory on Blu-ray. Munster go home and as a bonus in 1981 they got the cast back together all except uh, I think uh, Marilyn was recast but and maybe Butch Patrick was recast I think they cast somebody else's Eddie but anyway they reunited all, most of the original cast for the Munster's Revenge and that's c- included here as a bonus with a new 2k scan of that film as well as a new audio commentary with Butch Patrick and the filmmaker recording artist, Rob Zombie, who's a huge Munsters fan. Hmm. So uh, you get an audio commentary with Butch Patrick and Rob Zombie and a bonus film. So that's a pretty good deal for the Munster go home Blu-ray that's being issued by shout factory and, uh, or scream factory rather. And you know, Munster go home has its moments. It's not perfect, but there, there are some laughs to be had there. And uh, you know, I'm a Munsters fan. I, I always preferred it over the Adams family. So uh, what what can I say? I never watched either one of them. Yeah. I, I, I grew up watching it. It was in syndic- heavily syndicated when I was a kid and uh, it was, it was must see TV at five o'clock in the afternoons when I was in elementary school. So, you know, I, I'm, I am a fan. Uh, so the night, the 2001 film directed by Ernest Dickerson, who was the cinematographer on many of Spike Lee's films, Bones, starring Snoop Dogg, where he's a a uh, a pimp, the nice neighborhood, the nice pimp of the neighborhood, who does all these great things to help the neighborhood uh, to to beautify the neighborhood and make it a better place. And he's killed, and his ghost comes back to exact revenge. And Pam Greer plays his his uh, girlfriend. Anyway, this is, uh, I, I don't know. I never saw it. I remember yeah. when it came out, but it has been issued by Screen Factory. It has a lot of new extras here, new interviews with Ernest Dickerson and the screenwriter. And um, there's a new audio comment. Well, there's a, I'm sorry, a, a audio commentary that turned up on the original DVD with Snoop Dogg, Ernest Dickerson, and Adam Simon, the writer. And there's um, hmm. 
you know, uh, deleted scenes as well, and music video. So, and the I hear that the Blu-ray also comes with rolling papers. <laughs> it may possibly do do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, as far as new films go, there's one I want to mention here as well. This is a documentary on Michael Hutchins, the lead singer mm. of NXS. It's actually quite good. It's called Mystify Michael Hutchins, and it's directed by Richard Lowenstein, and it uh, gets into the the life and times of, of the lead singer of NXS who died tragically uh, from a suicide, and they explain, they get in, uh, give you more of an explanation as to why that may have happened. It may not be as it's a little more complicated than what we've been led to believe and there's wasn't it it wasn't autoerotic if it gets fixation i don't think so uh this was kind of a result of a head injury the way they talk about it in the film and he did hang himself but it wasn't you know it it was uh he he had this altercation with somebody and he he is he had it took a blow to the head and he was never quite the same after that i didn't know that yeah, it's yeah, auto autoerotic asphyxiation isn't just about self pleasure. It's about self pleasure in excess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But right. it, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, and one more title: the Ringu Collection has been issued uh, by Arrow. That's uh, all of the films in the, you know, the, the films that were Americanized as The Ring and The Ring 2. Those have all been issued, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a collection. So there you go. That pretty much covers all of the, the Blu-ray releases for the month of March 2020. Okay. Ringu. Yeah, Ringu. Yeah, quite a few there. And some pretty good ones. There are a few good yeah. ones in there. Decent month. Yeah. All right. Good times. Hey, I watched the first 10 minutes of uh, The Invisible Man. I'm going to watch the rest of it tonight. Uh-huh. You, li- you liked it, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But so far, it's like sleeping with the enemy. It's like, oh, somebody saw sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> uh- <laughs> the, the house by the beach that she escapes from. The- oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is a moment in that movie where I actually audibly gasped when mm. I saw it. I, I didn't see it coming, and it's I'm pretty jaded. And when something gets me to to it takes me by surprise like that, it, it takes a lot. And uh, there was one moment in there when I have to admit I was I was like, whoa! <laughs> so it's got a got a few nifty surprises, and uh, I, I thought it was pretty effective. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And the audience I was with at the press screenings, which we won't be having anytime soon. Uh, but I did see it at a press screening and it was pretty, a pretty good experience. I must say. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. can run, you can hide, never let it inside Keep living your life in the dark Sooner or later that gentle persuader Is gonna catch up with your heart Make you a dreamer, believer Believing in love Right when a man's doing all that he planned And he thinks he's got just what he needs 
Life will deliver a shot that will shiver him, driving him down to his knees, make him start giving, living, living again. It's your mind that tricks you into leaving every time. Love will turn you around, turn you around. Well, it's your heart that talks you into staying where you are. Don't have the time So you move away fast But you know it don't last Cause you can't get it off of your mind Thoughts are burning Turning They're turning around How do you know when to stay or to go And how do you know when it's real You don't need a sign to make up your mind You got your heart at the wheel Wanna start sharing, caring, caring again? Well, it's your mind that tricks you into leaving every time. Love will turn you around, turn you around. Well, it's your 